0: So, it's funny that Jake got you on the show, but he's not even here.
1: Yeah. I've never actually even met Jake. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) No. I mean, I talked to him a couple of times on Twitter. And, uh, like, I know his workmates that – I know he used to work at ABC, and I know a couple of people that used to work on the ABC uh, in the same team that he was in, I think. Right. Like, we've always traveled in the same circles, but we've never actually crossed paths. But we do talk a bit on Twitter, but, yeah.
0: So, you must have gone to the same conference or something at some point, no? No. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Didn't make it to swipe?
1: Well, obviously not, because you didn't make it. Ah, uh, no. But... No, I didn't. I actually haven't been to, I don't think I've ever been to a conference.
0: <laughs> wow. Are yeah. you in Australia?
1: Right now I'm in Japan.
0: Ah, well, that makes but sense.
1: But <laughs> I'm, I'm from Sydney, though. Like, I've only been here for two months, but I'm originally from Sydney. Huh.
0: What time is it in Japan?
1: It's 7 p.m., one, one hour behind you guys.
0: Oh, that's not so bad then.
1: So, all right.
2: Hi. You're listening to Mobile Couch, and this is a show where we talk about mobile development for mobile devices, or just regular development for mobile devices anyway. This is a show that's hosted by Jake McMullen. Who's not here. Oh, is- oh okay. I feel like
0: mm-hmm. I should make fun of his voice, because that's what he always does to me when I'm away. Okay, ready? But I don't know how, so that's
2: that's all I'm going to say. Ah. <sighs> But I I can give you I can give you the prompt and you can do it. No Ready? <laughs> Are you ready? Are you ready? Ready? Jake McMullen. Hi. <laughs> that was my Jake voice. Nice, nice. Be- ben Trengrove. Hi. This is my Ben voice. <laughs> it sounds eerily similar to your Jake <laughs> voice. And myself, Jelly, aka Daniel Farrelly. This is episode thirty eight and in lieu of is that yeah. correct usage of that word in in lieu of uh of Jake being here? No Wait, way, away. Given that Jake is away, we have Basil. Basil, I'm gonna get your name wrong. I, I'm fairly certain. Shakara.
1: Yeah, that's that's it. Shakara. That's the,
2: yeah. yeah. Sweet. Basil. Basil's. <laughs> blah, blah. Blah. Then you stuffed it up. Now I stuffed <laughs> it up. We have Basil Shakara.
1: Uh probably best known for your work on B app, yeah? Uh yeah, yeah, I guess so. And uh before then I did a lot of the well I was in the I was working for Fairfax and I did a lot of the Fairfax apps. Oh cool. Oh right. So that probably ties in more to the theme of the podcast, I guess, because as you just said it's a mobile podcast, but I used to be an iOS developer, uh full time, doing uh doing iOS apps for Fairfax like Domain, uh My Career, SMH, all those all those apps. But um, so I've slowly transitioned to doing Mac stuff. Right.
0: Uh,
2: we talk about anything. We 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 we've talked. <laughs> we barely about, stay on topic. We've <laughs> talked about so many different things in the course of the podcast. I'm I'm sure we can handle it. So Jake Jake I think was interested in getting you on, even though he's not here to actually speak to you. Um, partly because I think he's a big fan of your work, especially on B App, which is which is for those who don't know, is an app for uh, looking at. GitHub issues and managing GitHub issues. Yeah, that's right. Yeah,
0: I will say that Jake is such a big fan of B App that even though we should switch to Bitbucket because it fits our pricing so much more, because we have heaps of repos and two users, so Bitbucket is free for us. GitHub is like a hundred dollars a month or something. Oh my! But yeah, you, have you added Bitbucket support yet, Basil?
1: It's uh, well, I've I've been developing it for the past say month or two. Um. Uh, but it's slow going but i will say that the bitbucket apis are much much nicer to work with than the github apis um, really github github tends to lock down a lot of the functionality and you cannot replicate whatever the website does uh whereas bitbucket is a bit more open and you know you can do anything pretty much
0: oh well, that's good. So, yeah, that'd be great if you could add that. <laughs> that would save Stripe, he, suck
2: some money. Here's uh, <laughs> this is Ben Ben doing doing feature requests yeah. the, on a, on a live show. Great,
1: yeah, yeah, good, I, good. I will I will add that. Uh, apart from su- supporting GitHub, B also supports Jira and Fogbugs.
0: There you go. Oh, so Jira yeah. is, is the Jira API similar to Bitbucket? The same company atlassian. The Jira, right?
1: yeah, that's right. I would say Jira is like the best API out of all the issue trackers I've ever worked with. And I've worked with like a lot of the, like I've, I've examined a lot of the APIs of all the existing issue trackers out there just to see what I could support and what I can't. And Jira, when I said Bitbucket, to you do anything. Uh, <laughs> that's not, okay, that's not exactly true. Like there are some cases where I actually have to scrape web pages and things, but with Jira, absolutely anything is possible because the API is massive, just like Jira. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just like Jira. Yeah, that's
2: the thing, right? J- J- I've, yeah. I've used Jira in like when I was working in the public service. Civil service for Americans who don't know what public service is. Um, I
0: didn't. I wouldn't have known what civil service was.
2: See, I didn't know that either. But I was told the other day by a, a, an American friend that civil is different. Cool. Okay. Yeah, it's the same thing, anyway. But civil service or public service. Anyway, the government. When I worked in the government, we used Jira, and it was oh, it was horrendous. Oh my god! It just such like such a. Only because it's just so complicated and all over the place, yeah. which I guess is just the sort of thing that happens.
0: Yeah. We used to use it at the lap factory yeah. and it was like just way too big for this tiny team we had. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's what Let's I've kitted it out for found.
0: like, you know, companies of hundreds with like, you know, project managers and other managers and people who have to approve this. And it was yeah. just, yeah, huge.
1: I-, I will say that like after working with Jira for like many years now, I, I used to have the same attitude. I used to say, Yeah, jira is huge it's not it's not necessary like half of these features. I feel like some of the time it's more geared towards project managers rather than people on the ground, like the designers yeah, and developers yeah. getting the work done but it's it, the part of the problem is it's so customizable that um that that sometimes you get into like weird configurations or like I mean, it tends to, tends to occur in large corporations where they have weird workflows. And so they lock down, they like to lock down everything in Jira. And so sometimes you're restricted from doing certain activities, uh, within, within issues and such things like that. But I think the flexibility of it is something that once you understand it, you can, you can get it to work for any size team. And like I've, I used to recommend using like fog bugs or GitHub issues or maybe Bitbucket, but I think Jira, is is really good because it can scale from a small team to to a bigger team quite easily as long as you don't mess around with the configuration too much (laughs) um, and just go easy on it like just let it grow as you grow the team or as your requirements grow i think it can be very flexible and it's really it's really a nice system once you get the hang of it
0: so what, what do you use do you use b to report issues in b have you got to that point yet
1: uh yeah i use b with fog bugs and the reason i use fogbugs is because it's a it's sort of like a customer support system as well as an issue tracker combined so right. it, fogbugs gives you an email address and and that's the email address i use for my main support channel and so people can email into the um into that support channel and they can have feature requests or bug reports or, uh, or or just generic questions and i can respond to those uh those those requests from B, and it's all handled in the fog bugs backend and it's just emails going back and forth really. So all the customer sees are emails, but all I see is the B front end and that's, that's, oh, that's really cool. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So basically
1: it allows you to,
2: uh, to use your own app as your own support system.
1: Yeah, exactly. And the, and the cool thing is you can promote, I can promote like a, a general customer inquiry into an actual bug and then categorize that bug in a milestone or a component and then sort it and then move it maybe to another project where, um where i've got like upcoming releases you know stuff like that
2: huh, that's really nice i like it i like it a lot yeah so i think probably one of the things that we really need to touch on because you you work as an as an indie developer yes yes and um the the community at large has been talking a lot about yeah, the, the success. Right now. That's the big topic at the moment. Is like how can you find success as an indie developer? Just kind of specifically in iOS, but I, I think um, I, th- I think part of the and part of the reason that Jake was interested in having you on as well. I don't know why he's not here, <laughs> but part of the I reason- do actually. It was his birthday. Yeah, that's true. Happy birthday, Happy Jake. birthday Jake. We we miss you. Part of the reason that he wanted to have you on be- is because you, um, I-, I believe, you had some thoughts on on that sort of um, like how to be successful in that in that space.
1: Yeah, I guess I-, I I did. Like my my whole thing is though, I don't. I'm personally not at the stage where I'd be comfortable relying on Mac development, my indie Mac development, as a full time income uh, or as my sole income. I do work on B full-time, but I still occasionally pick up the odd iOS contract job yep. just to keep the runway going.
0: Yeah.
1: I, ideally, I'd love to just work on B full-time, but the reality of the situation is uh, I, I make enough money from B to live comfortably maybe in Thailand or something. But <laughs> <laughs> And also, I'm like a single guy, no responsibilities. You know, things change if you have a family, for example, or if you live in yeah. like inner West Sydney or... Downtown Just Melbourne Sydney, or, in or so Sydney in general, so expensive. Yeah, well, I real think, estate
2: is killer. Like a, yeah. a lot of a lot of things will make that choice a lot more difficult, and like things like family and stuff like that, like mortgages. Yeah, mortgages are sad. I I, I was at my parents' house this weekend, and they had a, There was a TV show that they were watching about some biker gang in some random back country sit down okay. in, in, I've got a point, um, in some back country town, like, and this, this, one of these bikers was, um got on, got on and he was, um, I think they asked him, like, what's the hardest thing about, like, what was the hardest thing about being, being part of this bike gang? And he's like, oh, we lost a lot of good people. And I'm like... Oh, so, you, like, a lot of people died, you know, because they'd just been talking about how they'd been doing, like, stupid tricks and stuff on their bikes. And he's like, yeah, we lost a lot of good people. They, you know, they got married and they <laughs> they, they, got mortgages <laughs> and they got, you know, and, and so it's the sort of thing where, like, uh, and a lot of people treat, like, indie development as this sort of thing where it's a lot of fun, but it doesn't really pay the bills despite what the public think yeah well exactly they all think we're millionaires yeah um well despite what the media kind of portrays because the media is all about how you you can make millions of dollars by creating an app and that's not the truth or at least it's not the truth for the majority the good majority of people yeah so i mean so how have you gotten to the point that you're at basil with with b where
1: it kind of makes up for what like a large percentage of of your Yeah, it is a large percentage. In fact, it's I mean, it is I mean, it's the sole income I have apart from the occasional contract job. So, uh it is substantial enough that I can live off it, but it's not something that I would be comfortable relying on it solely. Yeah. That's pretty Maybe impressive that was, though. Yeah. Maybe that was a compli- complicated, complicated way of saying that I wish I was making more money with it. <laughs> 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 but um but the way I got to this stage was Uh, So, I mentioned I worked for Fairfax. I was there for a couple of years. And then um, I left Fairfax uh, three and a half years ago. And then I started doing contract jobs, iOS contract jobs. Because at that stage, there were a lot of companies that just wanted to get on the iOS train. And they just wanted iPhone apps, just iPhone app versions of their website. And so, I found myself in a situation where I was always in demand. I, um, I didn't advertise. I just... I just had a lot of uh, clients come to me via word of mouth and I just kept raising my rates because amidst all the contract work I was doing over the last three and a half years, I was also working on B. And so I had this plan in mind three and a half years ago to eventually seize, seize uh, contract work and, and have the idea of just working full time on B, you know, something that I created, something that I enjoy working on my own product, which I'm sure is a lot of, is what what a lot of the other developers, a lot of developers are are dreaming of, like like all the articles we saw over the last couple of weeks. The reason there's so much attention being paid to this is because, you know, if you're a developer in a large corporation, I think, well, for me, I dreamt of one day being able to work on my own product rather than working on someone else's product.
0: Yeah, you feel like, don't know if i should say this actually <laughs> but as someone who worked at a very small company making products basically you kind of feel like you're working to make someone else rich that's the feeling i got i
2: think that's a, i think that that's a perfectly yeah. valid thing when you are working for somebody else you're working you were working to make them more money i mean you you make money in the process right yeah. but at the end of the day if you if the app sells if the app that you're creating for this other company um and it sells if that's the case for, and I believe it was for you, mm. um, if that's the case, you don't you don't get like, you know, any of that. No, that, that goes to that goes to the company and all the people who, you know, founded the company. Which is, I mean, that's perfectly fine. Yeah, they're the ones who put the money right? on the line. They're, they're the they're the ones that kind of put everything on the line. But when you when you were working for somebody else, you just kind of feel like you could do this yourself, even though it's probably not
0: true because it was a big team lots of skill sets but you just in the back of your head always go why don't I just do this myself
2: yeah and and I mean I've been so I've kind of touched a little on this in the past few episodes because it's kind of been all happening all at the same time my situation has changed in that I was doing individual development I was doing contract work as I found it and I've moved I've moved to having a Full time job at a local design firm. Yeah, just simply because I wasn't making the money. Because part of the reason, part of the thing was I the the apps that I produce, gift wrapped and the like, they make money, but they don't make an awful lot. And uh, and I am one of those really boring people that has you know a wife and a mortgage <laughs> and a mortgage. Um, so <laughs> it, like and so you know while while we were able to subsist on on my wife's salary alone it wasn't enough that we were that we felt comfortable about that and so i had to make the decision to do something about that and i think the i think the thing is is that like having now having being working for somebody else and doing essentially client work for yeah for them like through them it makes it easier on me for like because I don't have to go out and talk to people, yeah <laughs> they do all the annoying stuff <laughs> they you just get to like do the code. i just they just bring the work to me and i do the i do that and i'm and i'm I'm happy kind of doing that i mean i I miss the fact that I get to have the control over what I do and that sort of stuff, but at the end of the day I make more money than i than I was before, so that's good. Did I have a point I think I had a point. <laughs> I, but <laughs> I good think story anyway. Yeah, yeah, cool story, bro. <laughs> yeah. No, I'd, I I think it's one of those things where like you have to being being in either situation is going to be a lot of work. Being a an indie developer is is actually quite a fair amount of work because you have to do a lot of stuff. If you're doing contract work, you have to go out and find it. And if you're working on your own products, then you it's not just a matter of okay, I code it and yeah, I'm done. You've got to code it, market it. You've got to you've got to be all of the people that would normally be involved in a software project like that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, that raises a question. How did you go about? So a lot of people can do the coding side and they make this these awesome apps, but they go nowhere because they can't really market their app. So yeah. how did you get around that sort of problem, Basil? Uh,
1: so you're asking me about about marketing.
0: Yeah. Or well, just how did you sell it? Yeah. Maybe you didn't actually advertise, but how did you get the word out there and?
1: Uh yeah, marketing is like it's the traditional enemy of a software developer who knows nothing but code, right? Yep. I mean it's a it's a, it's very difficult. And and I had no experience coming into this um with marketing. So um I actually wrote a series of blog posts about it on my on my website.
0: Oh but, nice. We'll link to them.
1: Um but it's most it's mostly me just saying, I've put this app out there, now what? Like I think this is the. That's probably the reaction of a lot of people that put out apps um, that haven't done so before, or that expect something miraculous to happen. It's just getting the attention of people and getting people in the door and and getting people to actually visit your site is a lot of work. So for the last, for the so when I first launched the app, all I did was tweet about it and just hoped people would retweet it because that's all I knew how to do. And that was a very naive approach, but it's all I knew how to do. And then. From there, I tried to write a series. I tried to write some blog posts describing um, my journey and like how marketing was tough and and what I was doing wrong, and just trying to get onto like um, like Hacker News because yeah. I, I figured Hacker News was my was my target market, my target audience. Sure. Um, because this because B is a development application and and uh, development tool, and Hacker News is where. Dev's hangout. where I hang out. I think that's so, what I um, would have tried to do as
0: well. Yeah, I think that's what all, like, that, people. That do, would yeah. be the limit of my marketing knowledge. Yeah, I'll write a blog post. I'll get on Hacker News. I'll be rich. Yeah, that's how it works.
1: <laughs> well, the thing is, I actually did get on the Hacker News, and I was there for like on the front page for like a day and a half, I think. And I got like twenty thousand plus hits to my website. I got um I got hundreds and hundreds of emails from people. And it was really, um, really overwhelming for like for a couple of days, I did nothing but just type emails and, uh, and respond to people. But the fact is like after, after that storm, after that deluge of traffic left, there wasn't really, I mean, I was back to square one again. There was, there was nothing like I didn't, didn't have any, I didn't learn much. All I knew was that like, I got lucky that time by writing a blog post that triggered Something in the Hacker News audience that made them upvote it, and then people started commenting, and then and just snowboard from there. But um, so from that point, I got the feedback I got from the Hacker News community was really good because they were just telling me how my marketing sucked and what I could do <laughs> to improve it. And so the website I had at that time was like really terrible. It didn't it didn't really describe like this was my first lesson. The website I had it didn't describe what the product could do for the user. Instead, all it did was list the features that the software had, and I was yeah. like, I was, I was like, this is, this is enough. Like these developers, they'd get it. Like they'll get it. It's just features, and and they'll they'll understand. Um, they'll be able to put one, uh, two and two together and and figure out that, that they'd be able to do this and that because the app had this feature. Um, but apparently, people just like to read about how it will benefit them as a user before they actually even download a trial version. So I spent. I had many iterations where I, um, where I, where I re, retweaked the copy. I, I redesigned the whole site. Um, I also shot a, a an intro video. It took me a couple of days where I had to learn how to use Final Cut and and record my my voice and and uh, and do like all kinds of video editing. And because that was also another requested thing that people wanted, they wanted to see a video. They didn't want to just see screenshots. They wanted to see the app in action. And right. so I, mm-hmm. I did that. And then um, after that, I I tried to, uh, you know, I tried to submit it to other, like pineapple.io is another aggregator, just like desperate attempts, like Reddit, Reddit said yep. they get to pro- prog it. Um, but they they didn't work. And then I uh, amidst all of this, though, I was still developing B. So amidst all the feeble attempts at marketing it and tweaking the website, I was also developing B and pushing out updates to the few users who had who had downloaded it, who had purchased it. And so I think that's also a good strategy, like just to keep the development going. Because there's nothing worse than as a user just purchasing a piece of software and then just not seeing any updates. Because then you just feel like you've you've you're using something that's been abandoned and it just demotivates you from from opening yeah. that app and using it or dedicating any any part of your time to it. And telling and for your friends me, Yeah, or telling your friends. And for me it's important because for this piece of software is important because it's something that I want people to use day in day out because it's issue tracking and it's a integral part of, of what you do as a software developer. So, Mm. um, you know, so I was still keeping up with the feature requests and the bug reports and pushing out updates like once or twice a week, uh, once every once a week or twice, Oh, once a week or once every fortnight. And, um, and then I started to do some SEO for the site because, um, up until then, I had never done any SEO, so it was really hard for people just to like if someone typed in Mac Jira Client, they wouldn't find my my software, which was which was like a a problem, right? Because if you're yeah. looking for if you're fed up with Jira or you think Jira is too slow, you want to look for an alternative, you want to look for like a Jira Client or something. You wanna you're gonna Google it, and if you don't find the software you're looking for, if you don't find my software, you're not gonna know about it. So I think SEO is just really important as well, just to have something that's very visible. And I always thought, like as a as an iOS developer, and before iOS, I was a web developer, but but like as a backend web developer. And I always thought like SEO was a bit like snake snake oil stuff. I always <laughs> thought, you know, Google will, will pass my my HTML. Google will know what search terms to pick up, but the but I, I quickly learned that unless you help Google by marking up your page correctly, by by juggling keywords around by making sure the correct keywords are in bold or in strong tags and that you have hyperlinks correctly uh, placed with the right like text in the in the a tag and stuff like that like it's not gonna like you need to help google pass your web page it's not it's not magic there is actually a lot a lot of logic that goes into it
0: i have to ask did you reply to one of those emails that i always get in my inbox offering to improve my seo did you or did you <laughs> did you Google? See, this is the other thing with SEO. If you Google SEO, is it like a massive competition for the top spot? Because that's what they do. They get the top spot in Google. Uh, anyway. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> it's, so crazy. it's to- crazy.
1: looking up. It's crazy looking up like relevant information on SEO because you have to wade through so much crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But luckily, like as I mentioned, like that uh, from that HN from the Hacker News blog post, I I had like some um a, a guy that. Does SEO uh, for a living emailed me and he's like, "Look, I'm not trying to sell anything. Like your post just really resonated with me. I just really like to help you out." And uh, so I took him up on his offer and he just started showing me all these things. And there are like oh. legitimate tools that that SEO professionals use. Um, really? So s- sites like Moz.com, um, they just have like a lot of tools that help you analyze web pages and point out flaws and 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 ways to fix them. And so I signed up for a Moz.com subscription, and then from there I fixed a lot of issues. I submitted it to to other search engines like Bing, and uh, it just Bing. <laughs> and then <laughs> wait, n- nobody uses Bing. What are you talking about?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: And then yeah, and then after a couple of weeks, I started noticing an increase in traffic uh, from. From SEO from organic traffic which is like Google basically and right. so I th- and today like a large portion of the traffic that I get I would say or i would say at least 40 percent every day comes from just organic search just like people searching for stuff related to to the area in which B is in and they'll just come up on my webpage and from there they either leave or they watch the video and then if they're interested they download the trial. And like I've got Google Analytics set up, so I can see all of this. But the important thing is, I think, is SEO probably played the the biggest difference for me in terms of getting awareness out. Because I like could only, it's only me. It's an, I'm only one guy. I can't really, I can't really tweet. I can only tweet so much. <laughs> and <laughs> like, you just got to make the information available for people to search and find on their own. And there's more credibility if people can find it on their own via Google. Like they, it's it's different than if they clicked on an ad. Yep. For some reason, there's there's more credibility associated with it if you just perform the search yourself and found the product yourself, and then downloaded it yourself, and then tried it, liked it, bought it, recommended it. You know, so so yeah, I think SEO very important. I just googled you. Well, I
0: googled Jira Mac app, and you're number three. Yeah. So the first two are atlassian, which is going to be hard to beat, and then you. So that's pretty damn good. Well done. Yeah,
1: yeah. Thanks. I think also it helps that. Um, there aren't really any main competitors to B. B is the only app which does Folkbugs, GitHub, and Jira in one app. There are there is like a dedicated there's like a dedicated Jira Agile app out there for Mac and there's like a dedicated Folkbugs app and there's a GitHub yeah. app out there and um there's a Java client for Jira. But yeah, we the look on Ben's face when you said Java. <laughs> I wasn't gonna say it. <laughs> <laughs> wow.
2: No, look I I I think you're like hitting a lot of things on the head right like with 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 this things like SEO kind of sound scary because well I mean there's a lot of there's kind of a lot of lot of negativity um attached to the, to the word no. Yeah. yeah no you're right no no I'm I'm thinking it's not really a word it's more of an acronym acronym yeah but there's a lot of negativity associated with it and so people kind of stray away from it right um, but at the end of the day, like doing if you're doing it the right way, then it will actually help and it's not i don't necessarily think it's something that's beyond like beyond a, somebody that's creating their website. It's just a matter of like it's just work like it's just additional yeah. stuff that you need to do, but if it's gonna make you more sales,
1: yeah exactly i mean, I was in a situation where I was willing to try anything um because after working so hard and so long on the app and like i knew i i mean i had faith in the app because i'd worked on it for so long but it's disappointing to see that no one knows about it so at that point i was willing to try anything and i had actually reached out to a couple of seo professionals trying to see if you know they would want to tweak my website but then like I, I don't think i got much response from that but then i decided you know what maybe i'll just have a look myself and you know it's i started reading up on it and i realized like there's a lot to it but it's it's definitely you're right it's definitely not out of the it's not definitely it's definitely not out of the league of of software developers people like us like iOS developers Mac developers web developers like we can all we can all do this it's not rocket science cuz it's basically just making sure Google is happy the well, Google yeah. robot
2: yeah for, i mean for for many things for many apps it's going to be like doing the SEO for the website is going to be Nowhere near as difficult as actually you know creating the app itself,
0: I mean you put hundreds and hundreds of hours into building your perfect product.
2: you may as well stick more than three
0: hours into making the website and making it good
1: yeah yeah, yeah, I mean, and these days the the website your website is probably the the most important thing you have in terms of marketing. it's something that you' you have to tweak constantly in response to to traffic like if it's or yeah you know you have to measure and tweak. I haven't gone down the stage of like A B testing or anything crazy like that because like honestly I don't get that much traffic. So I don't know yeah, if A yeah. B testing would be worth it. <laughs> but but it's my primary marketing channel. That and my news blog that I have on the website where I shoot like videos of new features coming up in the in the in the software. But but yeah, the website is very important.
0: Indeed. Um mm. one thing I always struggle with is say I code all day for other people when I get home, I definitely don't want to be coding more. Did you, did you find that? As one thing I've tried before is maybe dedicating a day of the week, so working four days and then a day of the week is my own yeah. stuff. Is there anything like that that you did? Or did you, when you left Fairfax, did you go straight into working full-time on B or how did that work?
1: Yeah, when I left Fairfax, I, did, I went straight into working full-time on B for a couple of months and then I realized, yeah, I'm going to need some money. So then I started right. picking up those contract jobs. And then um and then contract jobs I tend to I, I, I realised I preferred contract work as opposed to full time employment, mainly because like you get paid a lot more money and Yeah, that always helps. Yeah. And the projects are shorter in length, mainly because you're getting paid a lot more. And yeah. it's it's like a lot of no you go in there, you're you're hired as an expert in the field of iOS development. You do your work. You listen to the requirements. You do the work. You talk to the business people there. You interact with the designers and developers, uh, other developers. It's it's quite similar to being full time employed in that you're working within a team, but you tend to have more responsibility. People give you more respect, um, and you have more autonomy because you're treated as like a as as your own business maybe because you're representing a business that you that you own, and so you have these shorter projects. And so, between the projects that I had, I worked on B. So my 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 whole approach was find find a project with a, and charge a high enough rate that I can do this complete this project within a month or two, then have some money, then work on B for a month or two or maybe right. more, and then get back onto another contract and and so on. Um, because, as you said, like it's really hard to even with contract work where you might be working from home, it's really hard to do contract work or do client work nine to five. And then after that, switch to your own product after dinner or something, because you're pretty wiped out after working for, after doing, after working on someone else's project, because you're, you know, you switched on all the time. You're responding to emails, you're talking in Skype, you're, you're coding, you're doing, you're juggling so many things during the day. And then you just want to relax afterwards. So I mean I, I did do some work after contract work but it's it wasn't um it wasn't actually it wasn't like serious work it was more like you know let let me let me tweak the design here a little bit let me do this easy part and then next week when this contract ends I'll work on this thing that will probably take me 2 weeks to do so it's just about allocating time and, and resource resources depending on the on the context depending on the circumstances in which you find yourself in and I found that um yeah just doing contract work in blocks and then full-time development in blocks uh, worked the best for me because otherwise, you just it's just too much. Mm.
0: Cool. That sounds good.
1: I
2: can I can certainly uh I I certainly feel that. <laughs> Being yeah, that I'm currently doing that I'm now. doing I'm doing full time full time Monday to Friday and then trying to work on my own stuff um after hours. And I think I, th- I don't think it's completely out of reach, like in a situation like mine. I mean. Uh, i mean i mean it's obviously it's it's a lot harder than just kind of you know doing doing the work and taking the money home and leaving it at that um but i think i think it's i think it's about balance right you've got to balance the time the amount of time that you're working on the things that you're working on and um and the time that you're using to rest and to recuperate and i i think (laughs) <laughs> My problem has always been, and th- this is something that I've kind of um, dealt with recently. My problem has always been that I've I've got so many so many things that I want to do, but only so much time to actually do them. Yeah, you got to pick, and you've got to pick something, right? Um, mm-hmm. For me, that ends up being this podcast and gift wrapped mostly. But on this, on the other hand, like I've I've also been working on some other projects that I want to get done. Um, but I've had to, I've, I've had to basically drop them because there is just, there's no time to, to actually do that. And I think it's a matter of, I think sometimes you just got to say no, like sometimes you've just got to say no to certain projects and certain things just so that you've, so that you're not kind of wearing yourself out. If you are like in that situation where you're having to work nine to five and then do, do, you know, your own things afterwards. Yeah. You got to spend your energy wisely. But it does it does sadden me that my best hours go to go to somebody else essentially. Um and I'm not s I'm not scared of saying that because I mean they get my best hours so they can deal with it, but but I mean obviously it means that like I've I've gotta kind of put extra effort into actually making sure that my other projects, like Gif Wrapped, stay uh fresh. Fresh?
0: Yeah, not abandoned. Fresh.
1: I felt I felt the same way, like uh when I was full-time employed, that my best hours were going to to the man. Um, and then when I switched to contract work, that feeling went away because yeah. I felt like I was being compensated well for my time and mm. it felt fair and I was happy with, with the projects and with the money I was getting. And so that feeling went away. You became the man. Yeah. Well, in a in a sense, maybe
2: <laughs> the the man who has nobody working for him—that's who you became. Yeah. <laughs>
1: and who works for everyone?
2: Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. You just you just uh, diversified the man. That's all.
0: So another <laughs> yeah. interesting point is that you were a full time iOS developer, and yet you developed a Mac app. Mac development is actually really different. So how did you find that transition?
1: I was actually doing like Mac development before iOS development, but only as a hobby. Um, because like when I was at uni, I got my first Mac. It was a PowerBook G4, twelve inch, and then I I really got into Objective C. And then I had I had like dreams of of one day working in Objective C full time because at that point I was a I was a web developer. Um, but and then at that stage, the iPhone hadn't been released. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's never going to happen, especially not in Australia because there, de- there weren't any Objective-C developers in Australia. The market was all in the US yeah, um, and mo- mostly working for Apple. Or like, yeah, mostly working for Apple. But then the iPhone hit and then I started working on iOS stuff. And at that point, it was really easy for me to pick up iOS because I, really I already knew the language, Objective-C, and I just had to learn the new frameworks. And the new frameworks were very pleasant, very nice, And I actually wrote the domain.com.au app um, in my spare time after my nine-to-five job as a web developer. And this was before I was working for Fairfax. And what happened was I eventually, through a very strange series of events where um, I was talking to another developer in Brisbane on Twitter about iOS development, he was working on a realestate.com.au app but some guy someone from Fairfax found our tweets and then contacted me and said you know you're using uh, copyright content uh uh-huh. cuz i was scraping the domain website cuz the domain does not a any. i thought that conversation
0: was going to go another way and yeah, they so were going to like
1: offer you a job ah uh, yeah no not 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 at that stage but after that i was like well the app is almost done are you guys interested And so he invited me to come to the Fairfax office where I showed the app in its current form to all the uh, product managers. Mm. And it just so happened that they all liked the app and they eventually uh, purchased the IP off me and then they offered me a full time role. And then I started, I started at Fairfax and I, I, um, yeah, and I, I built the mobile team there with the help of some people there. And, and yeah, it was a good experience, but, um, but yeah, that's how I got into iOS development. And as for transitioning to Mac development, after doing iOS development for so long, I sort of felt like I was going through the motions because the apps I was working on were just, you know, past the API displayed in a table view, tap a row on a table view, take you to the detail view. There's a photo gallery up the top, go through the photo gallery. Um Yeah. Then plug in some analytics so the business people can see what's going on in the app. You know, it's basically, mm. it was basically day in, day out, the same thing, just different designs and, and stuff. Right. And also I just, I had the idea for B at that stage as well, where, cause we were using Jira and I wanted something that was nicer to use, I guess. Like, yep. like I was saying before, Jira tends to be focused. I think the UI tends to be more for project managers where, you know, you get a, broad picture of what's going on. And I wanted something like like uh Things or the hit list or like maybe even Omnifocus, you know, something native, something nice, something sleek And I didn't see like why I couldn't have something like that as an issue tracker, seeing as like they're all tasks have app, task apps and issue tracking is basically just tasks. So I wanted something like that. So I you know, I decided to build it and and it was um it was challenging I think to to jump into the Mac world after doing iOS for so long. But like we all know the language objective C it's just a matter of learning the frameworks again and the frameworks have their quirks and with Yosemite it's gotten a lot better now as well with Mavericks it, it, I mean it gets better every year and i found that with Mountain Lion a lot of stuff became possible like i mean it became over time it's become easier to work with CA layers in appkit And because of that, I found a lot of the techniques I had been using in iOS land were able to be transferred to Mac land. Like I could start using CA layers for animations as opposed to just using the old legacy core animation Mac stuff, which on the Mac used uh, CPU rather than the GPU to animate. Mm. So, you know, jumping to CA layers just just gives your app that extra bit of polish. And yeah, like the principles are the same. There's, There's like a view hierarchy. There's a responder chain like you can like an iOS developer developer can pick up Mac development in uh a week I'd say maybe I mean there are a ton okay. of quirks but it's we all know how to do it I think
2: well that I and I mean it kind of brings up an interesting point because I I believe in the last couple of weeks when all this talk about indie development has been going on I've seen I've seen people say look you could you could do a Mac app like you could start doing a Mac app and and that would like there there is plenty of Plenty of space for that.
0: Yeah, the current group think is that the money's in the Mac app store because it's not overrun. Yeah. Mm.
1: Do you think that's true? Yeah, I tend to agree with that. Like the iOS app store they got how many apps are there? Like eight hundred thousand more? Yeah, there's a heap of yeah. them. Yeah. So and then, the Mac App Store, there is yeah, there isn't a as ma- as many. That being said, there aren't as many Macs out there as there are iPhones, but I guess it just depends on the app that you have in mind. Um hmm. If your app works as a mobile app, sure. But I think the important thing is, if you get an idea for an app, it's important to think about the marketing before you even start coding. And I know that's difficult for developers to do, mainly because marketing is quite foreign. But yeah, I just want to write the un- code. Exactly. That's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> but unless unless you know about the marketing, unless no. you can successfully market the app, it's gonna it's gonna fall flat on its face. It's it's not gonna you're not gonna be able to. To, to be successful with it unless you're very lucky. Um mm. especially in iOS land. On the Mac, on the Mac it's easier because there's less apps out there clamoring for attention. Yeah. So you can get away with doing maybe a little bit less marketing than you would on the on the on the iPhone app store, on the iOS app store, but it's still very important to think about marketing first. As much as it pains me to say it, like marketing is very important. <laughs>
0: So you in the Mac app store as well?
1: Yeah, yeah, so I sell B on the Mac App Store as well as via my own online store.
0: and is the price the same or different between your the website price, and the app store?:
1: Yeah, the price is different only because with the app store, you can only choose a pricing tier, and then Apple will decide um, what price to to serve it at, depending on the region. Yeah, so yeah, it varies a little bit, which is but you didn't not you didn't not great. Add-
0: 30% or whatever it is, 30% on the Mac App Store as well. Oh, right? Uh, yeah, right, I
1: see what you mean. No, no, I didn't, no. So for those who, for people who prefer to buy on the Mac App Store, then I take the 30% hit. If people want to go on the online store, then I think I pay like 4 to 5%. But, you know, I think, I mean, the majority of my sales come from the Mac App Store, mainly because people like the convenience of it. It's just one click, oh, okay, right? And they can just buy it. So I don't know. I mean, the Mac App Store, I'm not, yeah. The Mac App Store doesn't really do much for me marketing-wise. In fact, I don't think it does anything for me. I've never been featured on the Mac App Store. And I'm only there because users want to buy it on the Mac App Store. So I'm not happy that I have to pay 30%, but I have to pay 30%. So that's how it is.
2: Fair enough. Well, that kind of touches on the uh, on the little topic, that the little post topic, the, the Easter egg that we threw into last episode. Yeah. where we were talking about the hypothetical... Audio streaming service, which ended up not being hypothetical because we were talking about art audio. I think. Well, that was just the example we gave. Oh, that was the example. Example. Yeah. <sighs> Welcome to Ben's book and pronunciation show. Pronunciation show. Anyway. Anyway. Um. One of the the question that Jake posed was, um, do you, like, would you be angry if, uh, if somebody was if you were able to find it cheaper elsewhere, um.
0: Yeah, so what RDO does is the in-app purchase subscription is... I don't know if it's 30%, but it's more. It's more than what you pay if you mm. went to the website. And the question was, do you think users would be angry if they found out? So, yeah. Do we, we have any feedback? On that?
2: Yeah. No. No. Okay, so no one's angry. So do it. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> uh, so, um actually in, you mentioned uh you mentioned Yosemite in in um, earlier uh, do you have any plans to to actually feature anything new with Yosemite like um are you are you planning on writing any of your new stuff in in swift swift is
1: on Yosemite isn't it right yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah uh no not not right now like not at the moment um mainly because i'm still like Focused on shipping stuff, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And I think if I started writing stuff in Swift I, it would probably just delay shipping stuff. Um
2: well see the, and that's how I feel about it, right? Because I mean and I mean Jake Jake and Ben both have been doing some, some playing with Swift. Um I think Jake. I mean, Jake's Jake has been right Jake has been actually writing an app. You've mm-hmm. been more toying with the. Like, I muck Loma around stuff, with it, but I definitely playing prefer with the, to the, work the, the Repl and the. Um, yeah, the I just st- I
0: just like to play with things. it, but yeah, for work purposes, I definitely prefer Objective C still. Yeah,
2: and I mean, and I've I mean, like I said before, I've got to I've got to choose carefully what I decide I'm going to be working on, and a lot of people seem to. This seem to think that, you know, Swift, Swift is, you know, at least they start using Swift. But, I mean, when, you, when you've got to choose what you're working on, when you've got to ship stuff and when you've got to get updates out the door, um, I think I think sticking with Objective-C for the point in, this point in time is perfectly acceptable and probably a good oh, idea. I definitely
0: think it's acceptable. Yeah. I will say, though, it seems to be a sort of like an upfront investment because Swift code does tend to come out a lot shorter. Yeah. So, in the end, you'll be faster. Theoretically, I think yeah. But in at
2: this point in time, when you're tro- when you're choosing whether or not you're going to ship something early, like ship something in, bef- I mean, before iOS eight. I mean, you've you've kind of got to write it in Objective C. But if you're going to ship something, you're going to take less time to write something that you know, even if it is longer than you are writing something that's shorter, but you don't know.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. But uh, it's kind of like an investment, right? It's going to pay off in the future eventually. Because Objective C takes longer. It oh de- yeah, it definitely doesn't for me at the moment. I'm so much faster than Objective C, but I do feel if I keep practicing Swift, I'll become fast at it.
2: Yeah, and I mean, eventually you've got to. I think I think eventually you have to kind of take the leap and and learn learn it. And I will eventually. I've got I have plans.
0: Yeah, I, what I did as I started a new project. So whenever I get a like spare second, I might do a little bit on that side fun mm. thing that probably will never see the light of day, but
2: I think I think it actually kind of ties into what we were talking about last week when we were last week last fortnight kind of last week anyway what we were talking about with like choosing like choosing carefully about what you decide to learn with a project like there are certain things where you're not going to take it on because it's going to be a huge commitment and you sometimes you just have to get things out the door but and mm. one, the example that we were talking about was was like testing and unit testing and doing that sort of stuff yeah um but I mean, in in the case of Swift, like, and I'm, it's kind of good that they're go they're making it so that you can code little bits of your existing apps in Swift.
0: Oh yeah, the bridging stuff works really well. Um, I mean Swift's very beta, but that part of it works great. Yeah, never had a problem.
2: But I I think once it gets out of beta, will be, or it'll be a lot better. It'll be a lot kind of it'll it'll be a better better thing to invest your time into because it's not gonna change all the time. That's yeah, I do feel problem. like
0: it's much more beta than they sort of let on. Yeah. And they did say they didn't guarantee syntax compatibility by the end, but it like changes massively in every fortnight at the moment. Like huge fundamental changes that require complete logic rethink and Hm mm. so yeah. Yeah, <laughs> maybe wait if you're like on the edge, wait until it's released properly and that will save a lot of time.
2: Do you have any plans, Basil, to, to kind of move to Swift development at some stage?
1: Yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to move to Swift because the way I, uh, I do development now is like B is made up of many, many sub-projects. Um, right. like a, there's a couple of frameworks, private frameworks, and there's also like each service that I support, like Jira, FogBox, and GitHub, they all have their own, uh, Objective-C framework. They're, it's a plugin based system. So right. my idea right now is to start writing plugins in Swift. I mean, if I could, I mean, if I, if I were to write Swift, I'd write plugins in Swift for B. Um, but right now I'm still writing, like, for example, the Bitbucket stuff I was talking about before, I'm still writing that in Objective-C just because, um yeah, Swift is still in flux and I want to spend as much of my time as possible working on stuff that I can get out the door. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Actually, that kind of brings up something that I listened to today because I was listening to, um, w- when I went out for lunch, I was listening to um, David Smith's um, Developing Perspective podcast. Mm-hmm. It's never longer than 15 minutes, so let's get started he in his most recent episode was talking about um about like choosing when you do updates and kind of first of all he kind of explained what different kinds of updates you would end up doing kind of named them which was interesting um but i think that he made a similar point in that like choosing what you like choosing what you're going to be working on and choosing what you're going to be doing is kind of And, I mean, it sounds self-serving, but it's really not. Like, if it's not going to make a big difference to your users and inevitably to your bottom line, then it's the sort of thing that you just kind of have to really weigh the the benefits against, like, the Mm. amount of time that you're going to be spending on it. And it sounds, I mean, that can come across as being kind of douchey. I don't know. Um, But uh, it's the sort of thing where, like, if you're going to be spending substantial amount of time working on a feature that nobody really wants or is going to use. It doesn't really matter how cool it is and how interesting it is. It's like, if it's not going to essentially make you money in the end, it's not really worth it.
1: Mm. No,
2: but that was an interesting episode. And I would suggest that anybody that would, I, I would suggest listening to it if you haven't already, but I think that's all we have time for really. So thank you, Basil for joining us on the, on the mobile couch.
1: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me.
2: That was good. That no, uh, so, was really interesting, actually. Yeah, no, was, I enjoyed that I think one. it was very good. So if um, anybody wants to get in contact with you or, or um, find out more about the stuff that you're working on, um, where, can they,
1: where can they find you? Uh, they can find me at uh, Basil Shakara on Twitter, uh, B-A-S-I-L-S-H-K-A-R-A, and my website um, is neat.io, uh, N-E-A-T.io.
0: Excellent. Or on Google. Thanks to all
1: that SEO. <laughs> oh you can type stuff in Google. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yes. The type in the guy that made B. I don't know. I wonder if that oh, would work. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. We'll see. Oh he's actually going no, to type. <laughs> <laughs> No. Oh, I'll work on that next. That's, that's your next <laughs> task. All right. Uh, if you would like to read about any of the stuff that we've mentioned on the show, um, and if you want to get in touch with Basil, we'll put the links in the show notes as well. Um, we have show notes. There are show notes. They're on the website. The, uh, the website is mobilecouch.co forward slash 38, because 38th episode. And uh, if you would like to get into contact with us, you can do that as well. Uh, we have an email address. It is hello at mobilecouch.co or you can jump on our website, mobilecouch.co forward slash contact and send us an email from there. Uh, if you would like to talk to Ben specifically, you can do that. He is Ben Trengrove. That's B-E-N-T-R-E-N-G-R-O-V-E on Twitter. Did I mention that? It's on Twitter. And I am Jelly Bean Soup. Thank you, everybody, for listening. It has been excellent. It's been great to have you on, Basil. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again in a couple of weeks' time. Bye. Bye.